covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Mernier. Welcoming in fans of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast. Zach Heilman in here, as always, to lead off the shows. We welcome you into week three of the NAL season with our NAL game day series underway for this week of NAL action. Some great games on the docket that we're going to be talking about today, as well as a interview that is going to definitely be of the interest of Empire fans alike. You want to stay tuned to that. But before that, I'm going to, of course, bring in my good buddy, pal, co- cohort, partner in crime, the man on the opposite side of the screen. It is Jim Mernier joining me as always. Jim, welcoming you on in. How are things, dude? Um, gotten a little time to settle down since our uh, last conversation with our Coach Tom Manas for our rebound series. And uh, now, time to focus on week three. Got some primo matchups coming up in these two slate of games we'll be talking today. Well, week three is here, um, and it's a joy where there's absolutely no drama happening around the league. Um <laughs> You totally purposely <laughs> threw that in there. That's funny. Uh, I'm not even going to. I'm not going to jump into that either. But that's funny to me. Uh, uh, Good um, one. It's, it's nice that there's no drama in the league. We can focus on just two football games being played this weekend. Um, <laughs> I had to. I had to. It, it's, it's, it, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to Inside the Walls podcast, thank you. Uh, again, if you're following some of the social media, or you're on these boards, or you're watching national media, you know that. I am BSing when I'm saying there is no drama or nothing going on around the league right now. Oh, no. Uh, you just made the list. Well, <laughs> I could do that too, bro. I can. How dare you? Okay, yeah, okay. Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not going to spam these. I just wanted to do that because I'm in a mood. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we're in week three of the National Arena League. Uh, this is NAL game day. We're previewing the two matchups this week. Uh, Fayetteville home opener and crowns Coliseum is to take on a, uh, a Jacksonville Sharks team that feels like they left a lot out on the field this past weekend against San Antonio. And, of course, the game of the week where we have two undefeated clashing for the battle between first place. Um, possibly sole possession, uh, depending on the outcome on Sunday's game. Uh, but whoever wins that game in San in Albany will be tied for first until uh, Saints, uh, Fayetteville, if they do lose to Jacksonville, um, they will have sole possession. Yeah, two games. Uh, we've got three teams not playing this weekend, Carolina, West Texas, and Orlando. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we can discuss about this up or this upcoming week. I, there I go again. I'm trying to put up, I'm trying to do this. Uh, that's one thing I'm trying to put up the banner. It's crazy. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, anyway, this is, uh, welcome to the inside of the wall. So I've already say that again. <laughs> okay. I already did. Um, to all the fans, uh, to everybody, uh, week two was, uh, interesting. We, we see, we're starting to see who the top tier teams are, who are the, in the muck, as I call it. Yep. Uh, apparently that is catching on. Uh, Manas said something about the muck. Gibson said something about the muck. I think that's now being trending. Remember, I'm, I need to copyright that to make that. I think if you're going to say it, you're going to have to pay me some money to do it. Um, but no, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That's a lot of paperwork. Uh, <laughs> a lot of paperwork. But overall, yeah, it's, I, it's game day. Uh, tomorrow, action begins in Fayetteville, or excuse me, in Albany. As they're mm-hmm. the only game Saturday night. Holy crap, we only got one game to watch Saturday night. Then on Sunday afternoon is Fayetteville at the Jack Four Sharks. 
busy uh, weekend for me uh, personally. Uh, I will be watching the Sharks. I'll also be watching the local hockey team in the playoff game. Also, uh, my other hockey teams in Florida and this, my basketball yeah. teams also playing. They're all playing at the same time. Who makes oh, wow. the schedules? Who makes the schedules, man? Come on, think of me. Think of my feelings and my emotions. I guess <laughs> brain is about to explode. I got four games going on at one time. What the heck? Like, come on, throw me a bone here. But anyways, uh, it's going to be a fun weekend, an entertaining game, uh, entertaining games. Hopefully, we'll see what Fayetteville is all about against a, a dominant or not dominant against Jacksonville Sharks team, uh, and we'll get to see who is dominant in the South and the Albany and um, San Antonio game. I got the games confused with the dominance. I'm talking about Albany and San Antonio dominance and see what Fayetteville is all about against the Sharks. But, yeah, week three is here. Um, again, don't worry about my feelings. I got to suffer Sunday, but I will be watching my <laughs> Sharks, no, no doubt. <laughs> You'll make it work, though. I, I know you always do. I I'll mean, try. You, you, love your, you love, obviously, Jacksonville native, Jacksonville sports fan. I mean, it, mm-hmm. as well as, of course, New England sports fan from the earlier days of youth from the gym of Jim's times up in the it was more passed on Fortress. by me from my parents <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but yeah we got yeah. some good one good ones this week though uh as always though we do have to touch on those power rankings that's one thing we save for game day again last week you know we had some preliminary stuff week one you know, you, you know, you have to kind of go with your gut. And, of course, preseason kind of go with your gut. Week two, I think we kind of were getting a better feel as well as a few roster changes. I was surprised, I think, through through wrenches into some people's plans. Um, and we all agreed on power rankings this week. Uh, that, that was something I think that Jim is definitely happy about, you know, him being the amazing graphic artist he is on this show. Um, all of us on the same page. Very much so about these rankings. We'll give you a down if you haven't seen it, or if you're listening to the audio version, here's how the rundown goes top to bottom. The Empires still hold the number one spot for us in the rankings, followed by the Gunslingers at number two. Jacksonville holds up number three. We have Fayetteville holding steady at four. Keep in mind, they have only played one game like the Empire, but they'll get tested really soon this week. Carolina, you know, tough fought win against West Texas. They hold number five. West Texas jumps to number six and the new number seven in the league is the Orlando Predators. And, and we had plenty to say about Orlando in the re in the uh, rebound edition of this show earlier this week. And honestly, rightfully so they, they deserve to be in this, in the basement of the rankings this week. Well, if you, if you look at the bright side about this, uh, the top four teams in the league are playing this weekend. That is nice. A lot of good, like we said, good competition this week should be played. Um, and I mean, you know, Fayetteville being the new dogs, even playing Orlando now. And again, you can talk about that if you want, now that you've seen the Preds kind of evolve over the last two games. I mean, there's still veteran talent. I mean, they added Larry Beavers this week. Did you see that? Yeah. I mean, folks better check that out for the transaction wire. That's a good addition, a good bench addition to this league. Someone that's a rotational guy that can play both ways and prove last year with the Preds that he can be effective on either side of the ball. So great addition for Coach Gunning's group. That's one that... You know, he should hopefully be able to play this week and possibly make an impact against the Sharks right out of the gate. Well, he also has familiarity with Cato from last that year, too. so that helps, too. Uh, yeah, uh, we knew he was going to land on his feet very soon in the, in this league. Uh, from when he got released in Orlando, it was almost a certain that he was going to get signed by 
one of the other six organizations and why not go join a team that was on your on the Orlando field just previous week and look pretty dang good at it. Uh, their offense looked very explosive. Uh, their defense looked pretty good at moments. Um, it just adds another weapon to Fayetteville's game, and it's something that will make Fayetteville a more lethal type of offense as the season progresses, as that team gets more used to each other. Um, but, yeah, it's a good addition. Uh, there's a couple other additions that uh, will happen throughout the way, of course, as we've known from the past of this league. Uh, your roster from last week will be completely different in three weeks. Oh, <laughs> well, um, yeah. And, in this league. and two of those, I think, will have landing spots because there are some key some key departures. Um, actually, ones that I that raised my eye, they, both our eyebrows quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I, I, think one, I think one of them at least – Maybe the writing was on the wall last week in one of these contests, but the other two, these were curveballs. I did not, that shocked me. You know, there were a lot of transactions that dropped as of our record, as of yesterday, before we were recording now. Um, But the three that stand out from this list, besides Larry Beavers, he was in that list as well. Um, But to go through, uh, first things first, you have, uh, you have LeGrant Pegram. He announced that he's retiring. So, that was a massive shock. Although it's funny, hmm. Now that's interesting because I'm on the league's website. Maybe they haven't updated, but we've gotten an email saying he retired. So that is what we're going to go with on that, unless things were changed. Um, we'll find out confirmation later, I guess, because it wasn't there. Two that we know have happened for sure is that Charles McCollum and Walter Thomas both are not Carolina Cobras anymore. Um, those are surprises. We have one of the best. Uh, D lineman that we call in this league in Walter Thomas in with the with the Cobras, and then Charles McCollum, who was a massive on, off season signing, former championship quarterback for the Cobras, former NAL MVP. He's gone. Mm-hmm. He didn't start the second half. We were wondering why. That may be the sign as to why. Well, again, we don't know what happened in the halftime or what happens in, uh, in Carolina, but yeah, that is a a big blow, but. You have to give credit where credit's due. Malik Henry stepped right in, and the offense looked like it didn't skip a beat. You could tell that Malik Henry has improved from last season to this season. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think Carolina will feel the effects of that because you do have a suitable quarterback uh, that is growing and learning the game. Um, and Pilgrim, uh, Pingram, uh, West Texas, one that got me because he's been going off for the West Texas over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he was the bright side of that team for the last couple of weeks. But, again, in this sport, in this league, things change quickly. Look at Jacksonville. Their number one and number two wide receivers are out for the season. Uh, McLean and Darian Townsend. Uh, it, that's how quick it happens with injuries as well. So, uh, it, it, there's a lot of things to look at when you look at transactions, especially in this game. Um it's not like other sports like the NFL or like the NBA where you get a transaction, you don't even see the guy for three or four weeks. Um, And one thing about the arena game, it can happen so quick. Uh, Do I think we'll see Charles McCombe find a landing spot? Most likely. Uh, Walter Thomas, most likely. Uh, They're pretty good talents to not, to uh, uh, not be on roster. And then again, they can have, uh, you know, the mindset where, uh, this is not. This is me without no facts. They're gonna have a mindset where they're like, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. Uh, it's time to retire. Type of mentality. I'm not saying that they're going to retire, or I have knowledge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it, it, 
it's also a business too. There could be stuff behind the scenes that they, the players and the organization agreed on, and that's why they separate. So uh, for the fans out there that are looking uh, for updated information, uh, NL does a good job updating transactions uh, with the with player movement. So uh, just forewarn you, there is some a lot of transactions happening again this, today when this podcast is recorded. So it will be on the website tonight sometime or morning. Uh, so the pod, when this podcast is airing, I got it from remember when this podcast is airing, the most likely the transactions are already updated. Uh, nothing major happened, just players that are confirmed of being uh, on the IR list or short term IR. So, uh, yeah, but if you look at the power rankings again, uh, to wrap it up with the power rankings before we break down our first game of the week, uh, it's still early in the season. Uh, there's a little, there's really no, you can say, solidified oh this is a team that's going to be here uh again someone mentioned to me that are we already seeing the separation of the top tier teams in the rest of the league i think it's too early um but this weekend will help answer those questions again um uh, overall for away fayetteville this is their time uh to the fans of fayetteville you're listening to this podcast uh, go out in the streets Really go on the streets, go knocking on doors, tell people you have a winning team, opening day, Crown Coliseum. Uh, put butts in that arena as much as possible. Uh, you guys have a good football team there in Fayetteville, and a good football team needs a good fan base to follow it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has been echoed on our show. You know, a lot of these arena teams, it's fan engagement, fan participation, you know that makes or breaks mm-hmm. whether they stay around. So, I mean, you know, Fayetteville, I would love to see those, you guys out there pack this arena to open it. And against the Sharks, too. I know there's Shark fans. Jim, you've seen it. There's plenty of Shark fans that are actually traveling up to Fayetteville for yep. this game. So, or at least for arena, there's a good chunk that are tra- making the trip. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, yeah I'm don't make, to... Don't make the Crowns call CM Shark Tank, too. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would be... Uh, That'd be interesting to say the least if it just happened to turn into that. No, but no, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and looking forward to seeing Fayetteville fans out there cheering on that Mm -hmm. team and that it grows too. Again, we've talked, you know, week one, they came out, you know, that group made, made a statement, you know, and I think that we're learning. It's a more veteran group by the day that they've got some guys that can keep up with any of these teams in the league right now. So you definitely want to go check them out. It's going to be a blast when we talk about this game um, and might have some surprises uh, as to how we feel this one will go. We'll keep that in the back. I'll keep that in my back pocket at the moment uh, because right right now we're going to be jumping in and kind of discussing some more of the details on the actual game itself as we dive into debating how this game will go. So, Let's talk about it. Jacksonville traveling to the Crown Coliseum to play the Fayetteville Mustangs. Both have a win, win a piece. Jacksonville coming off a tough loss in overtime to the San Antonio Gunslingers. Hell of a game last week. One of the top top ones so far in the season. In a very young 2023 season. I'm telling you, man, love the competition. Love the higher the high scoring right now. It's been fun football almost every game so mm-hmm. far. Um, and this one, I, I have no doubts in my mind that I think you're going to see a similar deal. Uh, Jim, what are some keys? I think if you're the Mustangs, so you're, you're coming in, you know, 
fair enough. You, you, you know, the Predators, they, you know, they, that was their win. They got beaten down. They beat down Orlando in that second half and kind of ran away. Now you're going to play a Sharks team that, you know, to me, you have a young QB in this league that is catching on. He's starting to get comfortable. Last week, he showed very much so, Connor Blount, that is, that he's adjusting very well to the scene. And you got a lot of receiving targets that even though with Darian Townsend down, they're starting to diversify that uh, portfolio, as I say, and getting a lot more people than just Cameron Solomon involved. What do you do if you're Coach Gunnings? To contain Jacksonville or try to? Well, I guess to... To, make, to make Blount, maybe maybe to make, make it like how it was quarter one in West Texas. How do you get back to that if you're Coach Gunnings so that you just, you know, you get the possessions in your favor and you can kind of try and keep ahead of the game the rest of the game? Uh, if I was Coach Gunnings, I'll try to find a way to get Solomon out of the game, make other receivers and the Sharks uh, beat you. Uh, make Connor – don't make Connor feel comfortable. One thing that Jacksonville did very well against San Antonio last week is they kept Connor on his feet. And quarterbacks who stay on their feet will torch any defense they play because they're quarterbacks and they know how to throw a football. Yeah. Um for for Jacksonville on this on the other hand, how they can approach this game is their offense is you can say their their offense is starting to become explosive over the last two weeks. Um, and the one side that it's not showing is the defense that we thought we were going to see in week two against San Antonio that we've seen in week one against West Texas. We that didn't show up last week uh, for. Uh, for Fayetteville is get up on Jacksonville early as much as you can force turnovers, get your offense grooving and, and put them forth um, to try and get two touchdown lead on Jack. Let Jacksonville play from behind or a couple possessions behind. So Jacksonville has to make the, how can I say the, the play that they're not used to trying to make, meaning they're Jacksonville's trying is you Jacksonville's usually a team that dictates how the game's played, not how the game's being played against them. One thing against San Antonio, they dictated that game. They controlled how the pace of that game was going to be played. San Antonio never did until the very end when they won. For Fayetteville, they need to find a way to take control of the game, dictate how the game's played, establish their mentality. Strike early, strike fast, and try to go. Honestly, try. Uh, this is not Jacksonville last year. It's Jacksonville this year. Mm-hmm. Trying to do a shootout with Jacksonville, you'll win that so far because Jacksonville still trying to learn them, learn what type of team they are. Trying to go in the shootout, you have the talent in Fayetteville's offense to do so against Jacksonville. Um, vice versa for Jacksonville, play Week One defense. If Jacksonville plays Week One defense against Fayetteville, gives Cato a hard time. Jacksonville has a defensive that defensive mindset where if let's, let's just throw it some old time throwback uh defenses from the NFL. If they say if they go out there and play like the Baltimore Ravens defense back in the day, their de- offense will eventually catch on like you've seen in West Texas. Sure. But their defense needs to step up. They need to find a way to make James Summers, to make um, to make Kendrick Ings and actually make again Page, I think his name, Chris Page, is that uh, Carolina or? Yeah, I, yes, Chris. If Chris Page is is in Carolina, is in Fayetteville, uh, Fayetteville. So mm-hmm. you need long Trey Long, um, and Trey Long, make Trey Long and Chris Page beat you, not Kendrick Ings. 
and this time you're gonna have Larry Beaver. So uh, there's another guy. So don't make Kendrick Ings beat you for Jacksonville. That should be the goal. Don't make Kendrick Ings or to be let someone else, Trey Long, Larry Beavers, let them beat you. K is gonna do his thing. We've seen K the last couple of weeks perform the high, high, basically last week one. That's the best I've seen Kato play since like possibly like week four of last year. Mm-hmm. If Kato plays like that, like he gets Orlando against Jacksonville, Jacksonville's in deep trouble. Jacksonville needs to find a way to contain Kato and take his number one weapon away in Kendrick Ings to have a chance in this game. I, do I think this game's going to be close? I really do. Um, this is as a fandom. I really, as a fan, I think Jackson's going to win, but this is not a pick section. Well, I'll tell you the pick section at the end. Um, this game, in my opinion, I think comes down to two guys, two players. It's, it's going to be very odd that these two players are, um, Cato and Blum. Uh, okay. Whoever, 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 whoever quarterback is in the positives, meaning they are in positive touchdowns and they don't have interceptions. Again, Blunt went 14 and three or uh, seven and three in week one against West Texas. And in week two against Sayville, he threw for five to four touchdowns and ran in for two. He was in the positive. I don't want to see a quarterback like we've seen Daniel Smith over the last couple of weeks or we've seen um, the guy, I forgot the guy from last week against Orlando, I forgot his name. Um, um, Breeze? Not Breeze. Um, Hess, Joseph Hess, where yeah. he had he had he had more he had he was negative one. Be positive. The quarterback that has the bigger positive number, more touchdown interception ratios wins this game. I think that that's good to say, and I think that that you're going to see a lot of defensive pressure, especially come at Raheem Cato. Um, you know, this is definitely you know only two games in, of course, but mm-hmm. still best DB group that he's going to be playing so far. So far, in Jabari Gorman and Marvin Ross out there Gore, Gorman can has continued to just go up and up in since his performance at the tail end of last year with Albany uh he's basically at the same level he was back during the playoffs and championships so you know he's been playing top notch and then what he said about Marvin Ross definitely a tougher co- competition for receipt for Ironman receivers or just receivers like say Trey Long Kendrick mm-hmm. Ings definitely is going to get tested this week and I think he'll need to step up even more than he did against Orlando you know Trey Long had an excellent game but I think you're going to see, need to see Ings go an extra step further in this one than he was able to in the last game. And that, of course, comes down to Cato's kind of awareness on the field. But I think Ings will be an X factor for sure. Not only in that, but I think the return games to me are something that's going to be a fascinating focus. You know, we've seen some kickers that can get back to the nets. Obviously, Roscoe, who is now in the CFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been some challenges with a few others that, you know, credit. We've had returns like crazy this year, and I'm glad. No matter what, like returns have been going at a normal rate, and that's good. However, nets haven't been hit as much, which is kind of a surprise. Um, still kind of analyzing that situation, of course. But you know, one thing that comes with that for this one is you have Daniel Justino, who is very capable of getting back to the nets. One that did not get back to the nets really at all in his appearance, and someone that I think that if I'm Jason Gibson, I'm paying attention to if it's going to be an offensive game is Eric Amaya, who if you watch that Orlando game. Usually, if he can get if he can get back to the five, that's a pretty good kick for him. So you're going to want to be really aggressive, and I in terms of return game, if you can get good returns every time, say get to the twenty, the twenty five on your side or plus territory, you know that helps with added pressure on your defensive end because you're able to keep up and do it really fast paced possessions to where you're going. Okay, we got this out of the way. Now it's time for you to beat us again. You know, 
because Justino can get back there and make it force to where Ings, if you can get a good coverage team, you can get them down at, say, the 10, the 15, make it a little longer of a distance. Sure, in arena, that's somewhat, sometimes it's peanuts, but it's just enough to where you force the issue just a little bit more because I think that's the game you're going to be playing. You're going to be having to see who makes the first mistake, and I think that first mistake is what's going to be basically the rest of the game, that pattern. I, I think that's how it's going to go. These two have the offenses to go, back, go, go, I think, blow for blow with each other right now. But defensively and specifically the special teams departments are going to become vital as to who basically takes that possession step forward and keeps a possession ahead the rest of the game. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Someone's just going to get a possession ahead at one point and then it'll just snowball or you won't be able to catch back up. And I do think Eric Amaya is going to be a key piece of this puzzle, whether his kicking game improves or if Jacksonville takes advantage of those short kicks that Orlando was being given week one. It's amazing how no matter what, if it's outdoor or indoor, it comes down to kickers and special teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing, too. If you want to even go farther, you know, if Daniel Justino can get his leg behind that ball, I definitely, I mean, he's capable of getting a deuce for sure. You know, it's just that he hasn't been able to get the oomph surprisingly so far through the season that we expect. I think that'll change. And I think that you're going to see him nail a deuce in this game. But you know, I don't, I mean, right now, unless things change, I don't see Eric Amaya hitting one because I mean, I, he hasn't even come really close to hitting the back wall so far in his career. So to me, that's why that's so crucial. Cause it's in play. You know, if you're kicking it and you get it like to the 10, mm-hmm. you're already giving up 10 yards and you have a guy with a full head of steam running up the field. And that's every possession. Oh, you know, of course. Just makes that's- it harder for your defense to have to then worry about playing that farther back on their own side of the field credit. I'll give faithful credit that last game against Orlando. One thing they did well, they held guys down inside the five. So may, I mean, shoot, maybe it's their red zone defense, but we'll find out soon enough. This is a much more potent offense. We have seen in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. uh, than what Orlando brought to the table in week one going to be definitely a litmus test of where we, where Fayetteville lands in the muck. Oh, agreed. And of course, uh, fans of Fayetteville, remember tickets are on sale now. Uh, mm-hmm. Visit uh, Mustangs, uh, FayettevilleMustangs.com or uh, Ticketmaster. Tickets are available. Uh, go to this game. It's going to be, if you want to see a good football, a, a good coach team, uh, your hometown team, uh, especially week one, was perfect. Uh, and of course, Jason Gibson and the Sharks, uh, that's a traditional NAL team, a traditional arena team. So if you want good family action, go to go to that game. It is Saturday at three o'clock at the Crown Coliseum. Excuse me, Sunday three o'clock at the Crown Coliseum. Um, it's based on our power rankings. It's number three versus number four uh, in the standings. It's number three versus number four. So, <laughs> so the standings are very close to what the power rankings are in our book. So it's going to be an entertaining game. Uh, again, football is such a weird sport. It comes down to turnovers, possessions special teams, quarterback play, coaching. It's all dynamics of the game. Um, mm. again, again, we saw what last week against Orlando, we saw or Albany versus Orlando. We saw the possession game get involved. Yeah. Possessions and, are crucial. Mm-hmm. So crucial in this game. It's, you know, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that we're talking more, and I'm glad that this is one thing I'll I'll shout out to the SA to the guys in San Antonio, because 
that keeps getting brought up more in the conversation. They brought up the possession game in their first home game. I was like, yes, we need to talk about this more as announcers because that is so vital. I don't hear that enough. I mean, we have great broadcast crews like duos in this league, but I was, I love that those guys brought up the possession battle because that's such a vital aspect to this. And the more we talk about it and the more you pay attention to it, because it's true, you know, again, you basically in arena, like we talked with coach Manas and like you talked with others again, you should expect to score almost every possession. So if you're tied and you have the ball, in theory, you should be a possession ahead until you turn it over. At least that's how I look at it. Yeah. If you turn it over, the other team's then a possession ahead because they should be expected to score right after that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, so it. I think this game comes down to who – it's not who gets the, the most interceptions, who gets the most turnovers, whatever. It comes down to the possession battle. One thing last week I found ironic – Jacksonville have more inter, uh, more turnovers, but have fewer possessions than San Antonio. Yeah, and they lost. Wild. Small things, though. That's the thing, that's the thing that came down small, to there. Small, small things. things. Um, but last a bit on this for game in Fayetteville. Uh, honestly, uh, for observations, I want to see how the city of Fayetteville welcomes uh, the Mustangs into the arena of community, and I want to see how. Jacksonville rebounds from week one, week two's loss against San Antonio because no one, Coach Gibson, no one, the Jacksonville Sharks, they left a lot on the field. And I think they want to go out there Sunday and prove that last week was just a blemish of the season. So it's two interesting storylines. Uh, remember, uh, follow us on Inwalls Pod for up to date scores, highlights uh, for that game uh, as, it, as it progresses. So, uh, before we move on to our game of the week between the San Antonio Gunslingers and the Albany Empire, we were joined by head coach Damon Ware and just talked to him about last week's victory in Orlando, observations and game prep for against San Antonio, and other things revolve around the Albany Empire and his quest of to get that third championship or the four P or three P or how many Pete's they are now in Albany. And um, well, we had Coach Ware on uh, this earlier today to talk about the Albany Empire and their preparations for Week Two, ma- Week Three matchup against the San Antonio Gunslingers. We have the pleasure to be joined by you know former offensive coordinator and now newly hired head coach for the Albany Empire, Coach Damon Ware. Coach, welcome aboard. Glad to get to talk to you. We've been uh, looking forward to this conversation for a few weeks now. Um, congrats, by the way, on your win against Orlando. Um, you know, great way to start the season in front of a very nice crowd, of course, in Albany. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, over the last three years, I think we've done some very good things here in Albany, and, and it's good to talk about some of those things. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to want to lead in. You talk about a long time coming. You know, obviously, you know, your colleague, you know, head coach Tom, former head coach Tom Anas was let go. But I think something that was nice in our conversations with him, you know, he did make sure you were given kind of he, he wanted you to have that reign, you know, when he was let go in the office and, you know, put you in that first position. Uh, would you care to talk about your, your your two's relationship? You know, it's very dynamic. You know, obviously, you know, he you two, he considers you one of his best friends when we've talked with him. So I'd love to hear hear it from you and just kind of what you two describe each other in terms of your journeys. I mean, it's always sad to lose a friend and, and somebody that you spend every day with and, and, and go through the grind with. And so 
obviously those things are, are sad and, and that's the business that we're in, but you know, he was, he was instrumental, um, with helping build the success that we've had here. And so obviously I, I feel for him and what he went through, but at the end of the day, the show must go on. And, and I'm glad that I'm here at this point and, and we're just going to keep moving this thing along and, and the empire way still lives. Mm-hmm. Coach, uh, with the transition to you, you're there with the players every single day. How how's their reaction with the transition from Nas to you? Seeing that you're still part of the system, was it an easy transition, or or is it just hectic because it's you're the, you're the new guy and they don't know how you're gonna react because now you're the HC, not the OC. Well, you got to remember, I've been the assistant head coach here for for a while, and I've been here since the beginning, and so the players understand me. There's there's a lot of players that have been here from through the transition, so. At the end of the day, um, it, it was a smooth transition. And so they know me, they respect me. And so it was a smooth transition. And we're just happy that we were able to keep the Empire Way going. Yeah. And you're absolutely kicking things off. Definitely the Empire Way kept going this past weekend on Sunday against the Orlando, Pre- Orlando Predators. Uh, that offense in particular just keeps on churn- churning out the points. You know, that that's something we've always been interested in, kind of your – set up um you know talk about talk about i guess what what makes a good arena offense in your eyes or indoor offense i know i, I know it's similar game you've been you've done both so i'd love to hear you know what what makes a good offense for the 50 yard version of this sport there's a a big distinction between one and the other so indoor football obviously i spent my time there and it's different it's it's multiple guys in motion, there's true defense, it's a true offensive system, there's there's different rules. And so in the arena game, the box play is very different, the coverage is very different downfield, so it's a very, very different game. And so you can't really compare the two, but obviously it's, it's the same 50-yard field, and, and those things are similar, but it's a very, very different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I definitely could say that it is a very different game. I mean, one thing we noticed, and you know, I think you might have heard on this show, we've talked about last year. You know, we we mentioned that you brought some of the indoor concepts into your offense last season. You know, I I, I know Trayvon Shorts has clipped us in saying this, but his run numbers last year, I think a lot gets attributed to the setup you put in Albany getting more RPO concepts, more sweeps, more movement that I don't think we always see in the arena setup per se. And if you listen to my first interview that I had when I joined the empire, I I told our fan base that I would run the ball. And so looking at the arena game, uh, the run game was always short yardage goal line situations. And I never understood that because there's a, there's a, a very important part of the box game that that's huge for winning. And so when I looked at the rules, I looked at the box play, I looked at a hundred different films. I realized real quickly that there was opportunity in the box. And I never understood why other coaches didn't use the box as a way to win ball games. And so the one thing, if you've heard me in any of my other interviews, I've always said that a defensive coordinator that faces me needs to have a full game plan. We don't run the ball in short yardage goal line. We run the ball as a weapon. 
And right. so we've alternated um, just some of the old ways that arenas has always operated. And we've added some things in that we felt was important. And so with the rules, with the box, with all those things considered, we put in something that we felt was winning football. And so not that it's indoor, not that it's arena. I've always thought that was a distinction that maybe isn't doesn't fit the situation, but we run the ball for a weapon, and that's all I can say is if you're a defensive coordinator and you don't consider our run game a weapon, then you're going to have a long night. And so this game is a passing game, and, and obviously you have to put most of your time in the passing game. But if you can't stop the run, you're going to have a long night against Albany. True that. <laughs> uh, speaking about running the football, uh, you have a quarterback that has some wheels. Uh you used him very well last week against Orlando. I think he ran like a read option type of play where he went for 30 some yards. It is Castronova's wheels and his ability to throw make him the ultimate weapon for your offense compared to maybe other quarterbacks that you had in your past. So you got to think, obviously in 21, we had Tommy Grady, a hall of famer. And so a guy that's not very mobile. And so I had to convince him how important the run game was. And so if you ask him through the course of the beginning, he was like, let's throw, let's score, let's throw, let's score. And he didn't believe in the run game. I showed him how the run game could slow down the pass rush. Mm -hmm. If we can run the ball successfully and run it as a weapon, you will no longer get pass rushed every single play at will. And so after a short amount of time, he started to say, coach, I understand why you run the ball. So with Castro, he's different. And uh, I had actually, you know, had, had seen his film previously before Carolina got him. He was actually a guy that I had recruited. And so we had talked to him before. So bringing him in, I, I get it. He had a tough time in Carolina for a short time and, and they got rid of him quickly. I thought he had the tools. I thought that he had the wherewithal to make an offense special. And so I didn't really realize, obviously, he had brought he was brought in to be a developmental guy. When Mike Faithful didn't get the job done and, and Sam was outperforming him in camp, it, it, it was very a simple decision for me. It was, mm -hmm. you can be the typical, you know what, we're going with the vet. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to go with the guy that's performing. And so Sam was born. Sam has done an incredible job of taking the offense, learning all the nuances that we put into it and running it successfully. And so we were really happy to have Sam. And, and I think the world is seeing what I saw years ago with Sam coming out of college. And so um, his, his escapability in the pocket is huge. It is. But it also works with our run game. And so when you look at our run game and all the misdirection and the things that we do in our run game, you have to respect Sam's ability to run the ball. You wouldn't think Sam is a runner, but Sam can run the football with the best of them. And that, and that makes our offense really potent. You know, I, we bring this up, the run game up so much, obviously it's in your offense so much so, and it's prominent, but you know, I've, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you a fun little anecdote about talking about arena with the arena football style with a fan and saying that, Oh yes, Albany, they figured this out. They've been able to run like nor they've been able to run at a consistent rate. And I had someone, I think blue to the face talking to me saying that's impossible. It's arena football. 
you can't do that. It's with it's with big linemen they run it. You just do like you talk short yardage situations. I'm like, I'm telling you, watch the games. They figured out how to do it. Either you either you don't just you don't want to believe it, or you just don't want to watch the film. But it was amazing. Some people it's that I've talked to like, there's no way. Only the indoor game can have running. There's no way arena has it. But now we know. <laughs> That's why we keep bringing it up. It's just, it's fascinating to me and Jim because we, we're used to seeing the old way, the old school way. So that's why we keep bringing it up in this conversation with you. <laughs> and I get it. And I, trust me, I've watched film all the way back since the beginning. And, and they put a fourth offensive lineman in the backfield and he had a train wreck with the Mac on every single play. Mm-hmm. And that's typical arena football. However, we're in different times. Back in those days in the 80s when, when arena football started, everybody ran pro systems. They ran uh, under center. It was, there was no spread system. There was no – you got to understand in recruiting. Right now, the college football game is all about the air raid, the spread. So nobody really – very few teams get under center. Mm-hmm. So when you take a quarterback and you want to develop him and you want to force him under center, you're putting him at a disadvantage. So not that they, they – they can't operate in this game, obviously, if they can't be under center. However, if I can take a guy and his comfortability is in the shotgun, mm-hmm. why can't I create a system that makes him successful out of the shotgun? What's the rule that tells me that I can't do that in arena football? I've wondered that for many years is why do arena football coaches think that you can't do that? Tommy Grady, he, he looked, I said, what if I put you in shotgun? He was like, Coach, no way. No way I'm doing that. <laughs> and I laughed. And I said, again, I wasn't going to force him to do something he was uncomfortable with. But if I take a kid that's been in shotgun his whole career, never taken a snap under center, why would I not make him comfortable and put him in a situation for him to be successful? That's coaching. I, I wonder that all the time is how many coaches in the past forced a system down a quarterback that couldn't do what they were asking him to do and got rid of him. I won't do that. I'll take your skill set. I will find a way to make you successful and I'll build a system around that quarterback. And I think we did that with Sam. I think that's a fascinating conversation, not for arena, but also just football in general is that, you know, we talk about this, I think as fans relating to the game, you know, when we talk about, like see a struggling quarterback on our side, take, for example, I'm a bears fan. We talked to death about how to handle Mitch Trubisky few years back and how well was it was it Matt Nagy or was it Mitch Trubisky and was it his setup and you know I think that that argument does play into some into different varying degrees you know if you want do you want more the most success for the offense or do you want the QB to get into something that you're envisioning and I think that's kind of a gentle almost a balancing act you have to play with someone maybe that's like a new prospect like say like Sam was I'll say this. I, I never build my offense before the guys get there because what good does that do? I could force feed somebody my system and say, this is a system we're going to work, do it my way or get out of here. Hmm. Now that's again, there's coaches that do that. And, and that's, I'm not saying that that's a bad way to do it. For me, I wait until guys get in the camp and I'm going to say, I will build my system around your strengths. And so I wait till camp. I know what guys can do, and I, and I put in a very, very base offense the first week of, of camp, and then I build off of it based on what we can do. 
there's no sense in me saying do it my way or the highway when I don't know what you can do. So I, 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 I get, gather that data in camp. I figure those things out. And then we build the offense from there. And that's how we built the offense around Sam is we built it around his strengths, not around his weaknesses. I, why would I spoon feed him? Do it my way, because this is the way I've always done it. No, I'm going to figure out a way that I can make you comfortable, make you successful and make you happy with what you're doing. And I think we've done that over the last two years with our quarterback. Speaking of success, uh, you guys last week pretty much handled the Orlando Predators, and your offense looked like it didn't miss a beat from the championship game, scoring on every possession. How hard is it as a coach to keep this going and looking back and critiquing what you can fix in a game that was nearly perfect for an opening game? How hard is it to do that going ahead to get prepared for especially like this week's game? Well, you guys know that we don't see a perfect game. So <laughs> there is there is obviously a ton of things that we can get better at. Now, I will say this. That was probably one of the best performances I've had as a first-week team probably in 10, 12 years. Okay. And so now that there's a couple of reasons why. We signed back 14 veterans from our team from last year. That obviously is huge. Nobody else can boast that in the league this year. And so we brought back the guys that we identified that could really help us be successful this year. And so that's a huge part of it. And so um, at the end of the day, that continuity helps us in the first game. And so I was very, very impressed with how we executed the ball game, um, put the game plan in, and, and did what we needed to do to win. Um, but there's a ton of things we got to get better at. <laughs> hey, ball, ball coach always looks for the little things, no matter what. I, we, we've been in, Jim and I have been in those talks with film room. You still find something. It's always going to be, you're always going to pick something apart in the film. I remember those from high school. So I'm used to that. And then look, I mean, you, you want to talk about getting that stuff fixed. Cause I mean, this week you got, you know, to us in our own preseason, Polling. We've got San Antonio right up one of the tops in this league. You know, that's talk about an early season heavy opponent. Not saying you got a spoiled game plan, but what are some keys you think San Antonio brings to the table that you got to focus in on as a head coach in just, I guess, any coach in this league when they have to play, place and face the gunslingers? I mean, again, they're a really good football team. And so do I think that we probably have some good bad blood between the two franchises? Yes. I will say last year, and, and, and I will never, you'll never hear me say that there's an excuse of why we lost. We had a lot of challenges getting to San Antonio last year for that first game, and they beat us. And boy, did that light a fire under us as a team. And so it was just so unexpected. It was just, and again, all praise to them. That was, that was, they beat us. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they also lit a fire under us. And so obviously in the next two games, we beat them. And it was, a, it, it was personal. And so you add in all of that. And now Jay Rich, which, which obviously I love. He, was, he played that for too. me at 21. He coached, you know, with me in 22. And so obviously I'm super glad that he's there and doing his thing. He's a, 
he's a fiery, great young man that, that's going to do great things. Now, that also motivates me, though. And so when you look at all the things considered, um, all the back and forth we had last year, I mean, again, you've heard Coach Manas, you've heard I joke about being a four-team, you know, a four-win team and, and winning Coach of the Year and why, you know, Coach Manas or I never won Coach of the Year awards. And, and we don't care for the popularity contest. There was a lot of drawing back and forth, let's just say. So at the end of the day, we know they've got us targeted as, as you know, an opponent that they want to beat. We know how tough they are as a, as a team with Arvell Nelson, with Philip Barnett, with Khalid Rashad. They've got, they've got talent like we've got. This is going to be a war, and, and I'm telling you, it's, it, this is going to be one of the funnest games to watch this season because it's two teams that really want to win, and there's a lot of bad blood between us. And so at the end of the day, is this going to build a rivalry between us and them? Rivalries come and go, and uh, it really has to be something there. I think there's enough there in this one that we will build some kind of rivalry. There'll be an Albany-San uh, Antonio rivalry coming up. Hey, Interesting. That's why, that's why it's the game of the week for us. I think you made the perfect promo. <laughs> uh, Coach, uh, this, uh, get on the coaching's mindset in this game. One thing that I noticed from last week, especially in Jacksonville, and two weeks ago, what Carolina did against San Antonio, they made Arvell Nelson basically nickel and dime down the field. You're not going to beat him deep. How are you approaching Arvell this time compared, let's say, Gibson and compared to Fuller? Right. We've uh, we've watched a ton of film on them. Obviously, I won't get into the game plan itself, but <laughs> right. we've we've identified what the strengths and weaknesses are of San Antonio, and and we've got a great plan together that that we feel will be successful. Mm-hmm. Again, they've got great players. Um, Arvell's had a great career. There's plenty of guys on that team that have had a great career. Their coaches have had great careers, and so it's it's it. This is just the game you won. And so for me, there's there's only a few guys that I really, really look forward to beating uh, and facing. And Jacksonville has always been one of those games that I've really enjoyed facing them because of the crowd, the atmosphere, and everything that goes along with it. But San Antonio's is it's creeping up on me as, as a place that they want to be great. Mm-hmm. They want to beat somebody good. And so for what we got to do this week, it's so important for their season. It's so important for our season. Um, Them having two games and us having one, obviously you always worry about that. They've got a little bit more time to to put in some plays and and get some continuity. But we're really happy uh, as a franchise where we are right now. And so we just can't wait for this game. It's going to be fun. Should be a blast. And I I think that – you, I mean, if any Empire fans want to go check out a prime, a prime arena a game, I think this is one of the best examples is this one coming up this week in the MVP arena. Uh, one of the weapons that, you know, I think th- this is kind of a, this is kind of a happy, sad story. I want you to touch on this because of just the, I think it's good for arena to get this recognition for a talent like this, but Mark Roscoe, uh, he has recently moved up to the CFL, um, got three deuces last week, had a, had a monster of a game special team wise. And has been really one of the main contributors for you guys last two, last year plus. Um, 
So, like, if you like to take a moment, you know, talk about his contributions and him moving the CFL, and also on Michael Hall, your recent signing uh, for a kicker. So, Mark is just an incredible story. Um, a kid that we recruited last year that, you know, just comes from Grambling State, uh, just, just, just something that comes out of nowhere. And he was just so happy when we signed him. He was a great kid. And he came in, he worked hard. We get to the Columbus game, things happen, obviously, the unfortunate incident where they, they end up hurting him for several weeks. Mm-hmm. He worked his butt off to come back and be an intricate part of us winning a championship. And so that was huge. Great kid. Coming into this year, we knew that there was people sniffing around and saying, this kid could kick at a higher level. We knew it. I mean, obviously, we knew it. We were we were ready for it. We, you know, you at this level, it's always about these kids moving up. And right. so there's there's never a moment where you say to yourself, I don't want this kid to move up. I want to hold him for myself so he can help me win. We just don't think like that. And so we knew that there was teams that were sniffing around. It was it was. It was definitely something that we had anticipated. And so Winnipeg came, um, they wanted to sign him in the CFL, and they wanted to actually sign him and have him not play in the game. Oh. So most people don't know this story, and and that's what makes it so special, is they were really wanting to get him out of there early. He, in his love for for the team, he came in, I allowed him to speak at our pregame meal where he told the team how much he loved the team, how much this team meant to him and his success. And he said, I'm going to play this one last game for you guys. It was a, a touching moment, let's say. Very touching. Wow. The kid goes out, kicks three deuces. While everybody else can't reach the net, he's banging them off the net at will. And he goes out with nine extra points and three deuces. And basically that is the mic drop of all mic drops for a kid coming out of the NAL and reaching the next level. I don't know how many people realize how big that was. It was huge for us. We hugged and, and teared up after the game and said, you go make your money and do your thing. And if anything ever happens, you're in our heart. You come right back here. We will gladly take you with open arms. So that was a, a special night. I wow, that that adds so much more context to last week. And, and no kidding, you you talk about that performance. You know, three, three deuces in any game is nothing to slouch at. Hitting all, hitting nine extra points and accurately being able to just be automatic with that with the size of the nets you know the width of that goalpost, you know which is to me harder to hit than in some instances than nfl ones you know that's almost just reassuring winnipeg that yeah you you picked the right guy you know he he definitely talk about a mic drop talk about a way to say hey i'm coming here to win now but i'm gonna i mean that that's awesome i love love hearing that you know and definitely one of the best guys i think that's been been for the sport this past these past two years, you know, and again with just the increased focus on now getting the nets back and you know us having the deuce as the one of our main strategical ways of winning games. I mean, last year, you know, he 
a deuce that he hit against Jacksonville helped essentially secure your guys' win to go to the championship once more. Huge. That was one heck of a game in, with Jacksonville here at home. And, boy, it was a shootout. It was back and forth. And trust me, it was it was dicey all the way to the end. Yeah. And, and Nick Belcher had been doing a really great job for them uh, over the last the couple weeks before they got there. It was it was dicey, and we knew that just every point would count. And so, you know, the one thing about us is we, we go over a lot of situations. And so the funny part, and I, I think Manaj probably told this on a story uh, with you guys, we had practiced almost the identical situation that we wanted to have in that game in Jacksonville. I think that week our situation was like a minute and 17 seconds, one timeout, got a score to win, and it was like the exact same thing in the game. And so we ended up going down, scoring a touchdown, and it was still the game was they could have tied the game up. Mark right. comes up, hits the deuce, and the game is over. I mean, it, it's it's just unreal. Those, those moments are so special. They're, you know, those are things that will live on forever. They're just so special. And so – his performance, obviously, in game number one, it's another thing that just, it will live on forever. Those YouTube videos will be there forever. He came out and just dominated the game from a kicking perspective, and it was huge. And so, you know, I I won't, you know, I'll be honest. Um, I saw the Fayetteville game and heard them on the broadcast say 68 points in the first game is the record. And so my thought process was, well, we got to beat that. So we scored, you know, so we, we tied, we, you know, we went up at 68 points and he kicked And I was like, we're going to score one more touchdown. He kicked the deuce. And I was like, well, that's all we need to do. <laughs> we can shut this down and, and, and go ahead and, and, and savor this moment. And, and let's go on to San Antonio. So it was, it was a huge thing. And, and like I said, it's, it's such special moments like that. That's what makes football so fun. And, these kids that that have built these relationships, they will f- remember these times forever. And so that's what this is all about. It's the stories within the game that I like and that you like, and I guarantee a lot of our fans do. Um, and you know, no matter what level of football that is, NFL, NAL, whatever. Uh, one last question for me, and it's not it's not going to be a, a hard question I, I like to give question hard questions to players um but this is a simple question for you um this season well manas in our pre-show the albany pre-show said that he wants to go 14 16 and 0 which is a coach says that if he doesn't say that he's not a coach where is what is your personal goals as a coach and as an individual this year for this season, not just what happened last week, but maybe what happened August 14th weekend in a couple of months. I mean, again, I, I know that, that you're going to give people bulletin board material by, by answering this question, and I get it. Um, <laughs> when I've addressed the team, do I address the point of us being undefeated? You're damn right I do. We have a very good football team. We have a very good staff. And we are going to go into every game and give you everything you got. Now, does that mean that that you know other teams couldn't couldn't beat us at some point? <clears throat> I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, 
we will battle as hard as we possibly can to get every single victory. Do I think we're one of the best teams in this league? You're darn right I do. We recruit better. We don't hold tryouts. Everything is recruiting-based, and we build football teams to win. And I think that, that the league has seen that over the last two years. Appreciate Coach Manas, everything he's done for the franchise. At this point, it lies on my back that we need to continue this dominance, be one of the best teams in the league, be the number one offense in the league, as usual, and win a championship. That's our goals. There's no question about it. And so I will never, ever, you'll never hear me say that we're not going to go undefeated and win a championship because that's how much work we put into this. And so love my team. I love everybody in this organization. I love the Empire Nation. I love our fans. Everything about this organization we built brick by brick. There is nothing in me that will ever tell my fans that I am not going to try to win every single game and put up the maximum amount of points and try to dominate this league. I will always be that way. Good answer. I like that answer. Yeah. He <laughs> answered what my next one was, was if you have any message for the Empire Faithful, but I think I think you did a pretty good job right there summing things up. Um, go, unless you have something else you'd like to add, which that was going to be my question. Do you have any other final words for folks out there in the Capital Region? My final words as these teams survive with fan support and we love our fans, but we also see the pictures from 2018 and 2019 where there's 10,000 plus people in the stands. We really need you. This is a time we really need you. Uh, us being a three-peat champion, uh, four-time in franchise history, it really does come down to fan support. It comes down to cheering during the games. Please go out and buy tickets. Support what we got going on. I get there's a whole lot of media and a whole lot of things that are going on that people are confused about. We love this team. I love this brand. I love everything we've built here. Don't let any of that confusion stop you from supporting our team. Buy tickets. Come out Saturday. Let's put 10,000 people in the seats and let's watch us battle a really good football team in San Antonio. Well said. Very well said, I would say. And I also, I think me and Jim echo that too. If you're on the fence for any reason right now and you're listening on Friday or even early Saturday, go and, go and check it out. I, I, we, I've been to an Empire game. I was lucky to go to the championship last year and see you guys win. That's a good fandom. It's a good fan base. There's good people out there that have been arena fans for over two decades plus now. You know, It's a good team too to go out there and check out a game or re and or rediscover your love for the game I mean, again we we know those crowds are out there maybe it's time to go check it out once more because it's the best time to go check it out is right now absolutely and the nets are back you gotta you got i mean again every, everything's in place for everyone to enjoy the game special teams is better offense defense is but everything is so much better just come out and check us out you'll be a fan again and we can get ten thousand people back in the arena Coach, glad to have you on. Definitely can't wait to talk to you later this season. I, I have no doubts that we will not be chatting with you once more later on as the year goes by. Um, best of luck with you this weekend. Again, it's going to be a hell of a game no matter the outcome. I know you obviously want a specific one, so we'll give you, give you the best words with that. But, man, that is definitely the game of the week for a reason. Best of luck to you, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you guys having me on. 
Again, much appreciated and special thanks to Coach Damon Ware for joining the show. Well, love the insight, you know, and again, he's, I mean, talk about it. Talk about a whirlwind of a month for him just kind of getting into this, but he is, he's taking it in stride. I think that's what's most important, what we've mm-hmm. seen. Man's taken it in stride. The Empire Way has continued so far so good as expected week one. And, you know, that's what he's, I think that's one of the mess, main messages from this interview is, you know, keep this train rolling. And we keep bringing the core principles that has made that have made the empire such a successful organization since they've joined the NAL. Well, it's a successful or well, it's the organization itself on the football field is complete dominance since oh, they've yes. been in the National Arena League. They just dominated this league, and to continue that from last year to the coaching transition to Week One and now now. Albany has not changed whatsoever on the field. You still have the same mentality. You still have the, they still have the same goals. Yeah, they want to win championships, but they want to dominate on their way to win championship. And that's why it's called the Albany way. Mm-hmm. And speaking of dominance, we have the game of the week, my friend. Yes, we um, do. We do. I have a graphic for that. There we go. Yeah. Sunday, San Antonio, Saturday, seven o'clock, San Antonio at Albany. Uh, 2-0 Albany Empire, or 2-0 San Antonio taking on the 1-0 Albany Empire. I'm just kerfuffling this thing. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, the 2-0 Empire versus the 2-0 San Antonio Gunslingers. No, it's the 1-0 Empire taking on the 2-0 sun, sun, Gunslingers. Jeez, I am <laughs> just... The Sunslingers? Yeah. Words, they're hard. Yes, game of the week, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, what what else can you say about these these two? Uh, San Antonio, we 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 projected them so far since our preseason polls as the ones we think will be meeting up in a championship game, one way or another. One A, one B, top two in the rankings for all of us this week. Uh, it's build up as expected. And if you heard in Coach Ware's interview, you know, think think about this. Last year, you know, we were talking on this show. After that Gunslingers matchup, when they were upset in Freeman Coliseum, that to us was considered a, is this a changing point? Is, are the Empire not going to make it? And you heard him say it. And, we, and I, as soon as he said it, we, I, we remembered this. That lit the fire to their massive end-of-season run that basically sparked another championship. That game right there, it was a big deal. And now, you know, it's got more significance. you got former Empire players like Calvin Fance and Arthur Hobbs over there. You got Jeremy Richardson being an assistant head coach over there, one that was a player in 2021 and was in the staff last year under Manas and Coach Ware. There's some significance here, and I do think, like, you know, maybe a little few more games and you'll see a rivalry. I know we always talk about rivalries, and some people are like, oh, there's a rivalry every week. But no, like, like here's some good storylines. But this is like one of the two, one of the matchups that we marked down for this season to be just a bunch of fun. If you're going to go to either Freeman or MVP arena, and I mean, it's going to come down to just who makes the first, I think that makes the first hiccup or the first, you know, blink. Uh, I mean, two dynamic defenses, two offenses that have weapons, I think left and right to where they're just falling out of your pockets. Like, I mean, what else can you say? It's, it's primo arena football that should be played in MVP arena come this Saturday after some Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you describe this game? 
and a T. Well, these two teams played each other three times last year, two times where it was close. Actually, in all three games were pretty close. Uh, San Antonio won the first game in San Antonio. Uh, kind of fell short in week 17 or week 14 last year up in, Santa, up in Albany. Um, but, yeah, you could tell when they lost to San Antonio last year, spark happened someone's voice got used in a hype video on that episode after um for a championship highlight uh to pump them up for the game uh something happened in that game that uh, turned on uh the flick uh, turned on the spark because uh we covered it the league for a lot of the fans who follow the sport know the san antonio team that beat that albany team was at that day was a better team than albany Albany was sluggish. Albany didn't look like they were uh, not getting the, the offense wasn't there. The defense wasn't there. San Antonio had the winning edge. After that game, San Antonio, uh, Albany was a different beast. They became the Albany Empire that we know, dominant, dominated the rest of the year, and won the championship. That was the wake-up call for them. Uh, we, we talk about wake-up calls in a lot of sports. Like, man, this was a wake-up call for this team. Or this was that series was a wake up call, or man, game three of the Western Conference Finals. I mean, that was a wake up call. You have all those wake up call games. That game in San Antonio was St. Albany's wake up call, and they dominated the rest of the year. This time around, you only played this team twice one time in Albany and one time in San Antonio. San Antonio has won two games, and I just found those on the score bug, a bug on the bottom top left. Um, that San Antonio is 2-0, and they've won two in a row, um, and their point differential is plus two, not plus 28. That's me. I just not noticed that. I had the whole episode with the wrong uh, thing up there. But anyways, San Antonio needed two special team blunders to be 2-0. Uh, they needed uh, a, a two-point conversion stop against Caroline, which they got, and they needed – a Justin Dan, a Daniel Justino's miss extra point in overtime, which they that happened, and and then, then they scored, and, and Daniel and, and Pearson scored a field goal. Mm-hmm. Out of those two games they have played, both those both Carolina and Jacksonville made mistakes, turnovers, uh, drives ended up with no points, penalties at bad situations. You're entering this game against a team in Albany that doesn't do that. They don't kill themselves. They don't shoot themselves in the foot, and they they kind of are on a streak where they haven't haven't kicked a field or missed a possession without points. I think since the first round of the playoffs last year. Yeah, I right. think I right think terror. they scored. I think they scored on every drive in the championship game, and they scored on every drive last week. So for San Antonio. No matter, yeah, you won the first two games. This is a bigger step in competition against a bigger team. Do you have talent that you can go up there and knock off Albany? Yes, you do. Do you have the quarterback? Yes, you do. Do you have the receivers? Yes, you do. The question is, is up in Albany, they have a staff, they have a core that's been there, has done that. And from where you hear Damian Ware, there's a little hostility between the two teams. So, uh, Albany ain't overlooking gunslingers. Uh, this is going to be a matchup. Uh, I think it's going to be – I, I want to even call it's going to be one of the most entertaining games of the week, one of the most entertaining games of the season. Um, I do think Albany has – they're going to go up against a team that can go toe-to-toe with them. Do, uh, do I think is a team that's going to 
probably, you know, go above them eventually in the year? Probably not. But in this game, week two, MVP arena, seven o'clock this Saturday night, two undefeated teams. It's it's a clash that we want. It's a clash I think players like a Philip Barnett and the Kyle Rashad have a chance to shine. Or oh, yeah. Pierre Turner or Justin Alexander. You have this is the game where you shine. If you, you play your best game and you beat the Empire, people will be talking about you in this league about being the best team in the league. Just look at Carolina last year. They did it, and that's why they got the recognition at that time. But it's going to be so hard to go into that building to beat a Castronova-led team, a Damian Ware's offense where he uses all aspects of the offense from receiving to touchdowns or receiving to rushing to mind games. I uh, don't know how they do it, but honestly, you look at the game last week against Orlando. Orlando was outclassed at every level. A, by a better team, and a better, you can say by a better coaching staff from week two. Not saying the whole year, but for week two. San Antonio needs to prepare for not just that, but needs to prepare for the whole Empire way because you're not playing against the Albany Empire. You're playing for against their whole legacy, what they have done over the last four years of winning championships from every league they've played in so far. So, yes, it's a big task, but it's our game of the week, and it's glad that we have it early in the year. Because it'll be pretty cool to look back at this game a couple weeks from now and go, was this a turning point or was this just a, yeah, we knew Albany, this is Albany, we knew this is going to be Albany. So, yeah, it's going to be entertaining, but overall, I've already previewed the game. So, I think we need to talk about keys to the game. Zach? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, you know, you can't say enough about about this one. Keys to the game for me, you know, I, I think the big, I think the big one, if you are San Antonio and something that I thought was going to sink them last week and i thought could have sank them earlier in the season and already had them with a loss in the loss column i think it comes down to arvell nelson and we've talked about this on this show arvell one of the most dynamic all-around players in terms of qb position you can have he can run he can throw on you you know he changes a game for you you know he did it for jacksonville gunslingers he stepped in and he has been a vital dominant force my thing though is and we've talked about this since last year he is almost guaranteed to throw a pick a game. And that's, and you know, I'm not saying that because it seems that way. It kind of happens every game. You're bound to see an interception or at least a pass go. Maybe, maybe it's a narrow window. Maybe it's an errant throw. But every now and then he throws one that you get nervous at. And I think that that's going to be something. If I'm the Empire, I'm looking at film. And... You know, we definitely know if Manas did it, we know where is in that film room. Those two hand in hand. That's something that there's going to be keyed in. When can you get opportunities to go after Arvell Nelson and where he makes maybe a mistake or makes a pass that he maybe is a little more confident on the window? I think that's going to be vital. Nelson needs to play as clean of a game as he possibly can. And I'm talking clean to where it's, you basically don't have any throws that look mm-hmm. suspect or within even close of a range of doing a tip drill because that's secondary Dwayne Hollis and company, they will find a way to make you mess up. And also, you know, it's going to be a tough ask for me to even say that because as we've seen Brandon Cisse, Cornelius Lewis, Nick Heck, they will bring the heat. They they've done it. They've done it year after year for the empire it's going to be the biggest test for the gunslingers all season is this front is really this front four well front five but front four in terms of you know hag blitzing at the mac position 
they're going to have a challenge in front of their hands. If Arvell can play a clean game, if they can keep him clean in the pocket, that's going to be, I think, giving them a key chance to do this. On the defensive side for the Gunslingers, they have, to me, a defensive front that very much can counter what Albany is doing. Mm -hmm. Main thing is, can you get Sam Castronova down? Can you pressure Sam Castronova? Can you make him get an errant throw? That's a hard ask. Sam, if we're talking Arvell Nelson's mobility, Sam has a bit more to offer even at that table in terms of that category. He can damage you in the run. He can throw the deep pass. He can throw the connecting over the middle passes and make you dink and dunk down the field. They have the RPO concepts, as we've talked about, in the running game. That's going to be a tall order for the Gunslingers. That being said, they have they have one of the top defenses in the league, and they have one of the best pass rushing duos in the league in Calvin Fance and Justin Alexander. Those two are going to have quite the challenge. Along with Cody Brooks, keep him in mind too. Those three in particular, those guys have to play the best game that they have played all year, and if they can get back to Sam, that's the thing. It really comes down to who, who rattles the QBs the most, you know, Arvell has to play a clean game. Sam has to continue playing a calm, collected game like he's used to playing. Um, and basically, first to flinch, probably is going to lose. That's a, uh, a good now. Uh, can I say that? This is, I can't really say what well, your opinion is correct. I think that's a well, good I, assessment. Here's, a, here's another one, thing. Here's another thing, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but if you, if you didn't want to do the flinch thing, Fascinating matchup. We talked about Michael Hall. How good's Michael Hall? Mark Orozco not being here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great opportunity for him. But if you're Damon Ware, you're like, boy, I wish we had him because Drew Pearson is going to have the room in the MVP arena to kick high and into the nets and hit deuces without hitting a scoreboard. That's going to be vital is to see how good Michael Hall is coming in. Mm-hmm. First game for him. He's going to have to prove himself right out of the gate. Um. Again, you steal what I was about to talk about, but okay. Let me I'm, switch to my key. You <laughs> I was can, going hey, to, if you if you want to add more onto that, feel free. I will admit I did steal a bit of the thunder there. So that's, oh, that's I'll, I'll, I'll say I stole some of that thunder. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, my key, uh, I'm going to bring it back from our Tuesday show with Coach Manas where he said when he was looking at San Antonio, breaking down the San Antonio game with us, uh, with Santonio Jackson, and he said that the Jackson's offensive line and defensive line were dominating the line scrimmage against the Gunslingers. And he he literally said, he's like, if they are getting pushed back by a Jacksonville offensive line, now you think what should other coaches in the league look at first? I think that's key in this game. Does the Santonio's San line of scrimmage Hold up against Santa. Uh, hold up against Albany this game. If Albany's defense slash offensive line are doing what they what Jacksonville did against San Antonio, this game I can may not even be close. Because uh, from I rewatched it when Minas talked about that. I rewatched the game and just actually watched the offensive line and defensive line both sides of the ball. And Jacksonville was in the backfield on defense all the time against Arville. And when Jacksonville had the ball, they were pushing uh, all uh, pushing San Antonio's defense three or four yards into into their own zone. And Jacksonville just was nickel and diamond down the field, or they're running the ball with these. Albany had, in my opinion, as uh, people say, I'm biased towards my sharks, which I am. Uh, Albany has a better line scrimmage game than Jacksonville. Um, they just have a three mammoths 
a beast with Cisse and Lewis there to just anchor everything. And you go, of course, of course you got Nick Hag um, or Schwartz, depending on who wants to rotate a position. Uh, the key to me, this game, it's not the quarterback play. You know what? We know what Sam Castronova is going to do. He's going to throw for a couple of touchdowns, and it's usually going to be at the Darius Prince. He's going to run in a couple of touchdowns. Arvell is going to throw a couple of touchdowns, probably to Kylie Rashad, maybe run in a few. The quarterbacks, and uh, yeah, they could be keys. They were in a game. The quarterback's always a key position. And uh, who's going to have, who's, what receiver's going to have the better game? Kylie or Darius Prince? They're both going to get what they want. Oh, how about the secondary receivers? Philip Barnett. You know, Wade, I don't know. It's going to come down to line scrimmage. Whoever's line scrimmage is owning the game will take advantage of this game and eventually pull away in this game. Uh, one thing I've noticed against Albany, against every team that's played against Albany the last couple of years, they can hang with them for the first half, maybe three quarters, but in the fourth quarter, their teams are too wear down against, um, no pun intended, against a damn and wear type offense. Um, but... For me, it comes down to whose line of scrimmage, who's winning line of scrimmage. If San Antonio's keeping their own and they're, you know, moving the ball, actually handling their own and actually making Albany's D line look suspect or offensive line look suspect, then maybe we have a different outcome or a, a vision that I don't see coming. But it comes down to line of scrimmage. One thing. It's strange. You played offensive line. I played defensive line in our high school days. Teams that usually win the line scrimmage battle win the game 90% of the time. Teams who win the running morning game battle usually win the game 90% of the time. And what is very strange is I looked at the stats. Jacksonville lost last week, led the, led the game in rushing, led the game in passing yards, but they lost. That's very rare in arena game where you're leading the rushing stats, passing stats, and you're dominating the line scrimmage, and you still lost. Yeah. That's rare. Because usually wild. when you go to the outdoor game, is wild. a team that's usually leading let's team that's leading or leading rushing team, they're usually winning every game because their offense is all the way on the field and they're in the clock. Strange. An offensive line, defensive line, strange sport. It comes down to my coach in high school. I guarantee the coaches that, that teach players or coach the players out there. Football, you can throw 50-yard passes. You can kick 40-yard field goals. But if you can't win that three yard, that three yards between the line of scrimmage, if you can't win that battle, why even play the game? Um, it's going to come down to the guys in the middle. That's my key to the game. Whoever wins that wins the game. And honestly, it would be pretty cool. Um, throw the guys, you know, who cares about the receivers? Who cares about the running backs? Football is meant to be played in the line scrimmage anyways. Crap. I played mm-hmm. D line. You played offline. We didn't catch the footballs. Our jobs was just kill each other. <laughs> Get out of the way. Uh, so yeah, a line scrimmage battle. My, it's my key to the game of this match. And again, if San Antonio shows that they can hang up with Albany and, you know, on a line scrimmage battle, You'll, you'll find that out early in the game. That's not something where you see in the third quarter. You'll know within the first two or three possessions if um, San Antonio's line scrimmage battle is uh, can win the game. And also, uh, let's say key player, uh, I want to see what Cody Brooks does. If Cody Brooks uh, yeah. is – if Cody Brooks performs like he did last week and uh, elevates the game a little bit more, 
Uh, one thing I've noticed last year, watch, last week watching the film, Cody Brooks was everywhere on the field, everywhere. Um, if he does that this week against Albany, um, I think Santo has a good chance of winning this game. Uh, it's going to come down to the line scrimmage or honestly, the, 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 the what do you want to call the front five? But yeah. Yeah. Front five. That's what I say. Because it's front seven in the NFL. So you got to take the two away. Front five. I can say the front three if I want to talk the line. You know, mm-hmm. I digress. Front five in arena. Or, or nine you know, in what, Canada. Nine in front nine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's nine. I don't know. But yeah, front five in arena football. Yeah. <laughs> line scrimmage is strange. We played a 50-yard field, but it doesn't care. It's at three yards. That line scrimmage battle. Well, let's see if we're having a scrimmage battle in these picks or if we're going to be uh, going the same direction. Let's get into the pickums here, Jim. Oh, I'll try it. Going I'll try it. Let me, let me. I know I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I know how to do this. Um, people are listening to podcasts. Of what the hell is Jim doing? Try and find the graphic. Here we go. There it goes. <laughs> yeah, the pickum. So um, as you, you can see. Um. Uh, we have some breaking news, by the way, in the Pickums. Uh, to the people who followed our Pickums last year, this is the first time that Zach is leading <laughs> the pack. Yeah, yes, buddy. Zach did win the Pickum last year, but he took the lead at the very last week, the championship game. <laughs> I led all the way through. Did not give not give up my position till the final week. And this week, Zach, it only took him two weeks. So good. Come back, kid, for me this week. Let's go. <laughs> we are back. Back to the top. But, yeah, it took longer last year. This year, finally a game up. But it's only a game. We're going to test that and see how close we are this week, I think, um, as we kick off this first game. So, the Jacksonville going on the road, heading to the stable, as they call it, over in the Crown Coliseum to take on the Fayetteville Mustangs. First home game in the Mustangs' short history as a franchise. And what do I think I'm going to take? By golly, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the newcomer. Give me the Fayetteville Mustangs. Yes, I am taking Fayetteville. Why am I taking Fayetteville? I actually, to me, I got faith that Rakeem Cato's turned a corner. I got faith in that defense. I think that that week one performance against Predators in the second half wasn't a fluke and that that defense is going to lock down, find a way to get some pressure on the Sharks on Connor Blount, and I think you're going to see a possession go Fayetteville's way, and they'll walk away 2-0 against the mighty Jacksonville Sharks. Call me crazy. I think it can happen. I also think Larry Beavers as a pickup just reinforces the offensive and defensive presence of the Mustangs, which already, to me, surprised in week one anyway, Mm -hmm. giving a little more cushion for Kendrick Ings to get even more damage involved, along with Trey Long, who impressed week one, I got Fayetteville, but boy, it's going to be closer than people think, and Mustangs are going to be hanging on for dear life to get this win. Come on, guys. Let's do it in the stable. I'm taking you. All right. Well, I'm going to make this short, simple, and sweet. I got loyalty in my veins. Sharks. Yes, you do. (laughs) I feel like I took all the time for you to talk Jacksonville on that last one. The hype machine. I think this game is going to be a carbon copy of what happened in Jacksonville uh, this past week in between San Antonio and Jackson. I think it comes down to the wire, but it's going to come down to this time, Daniel Justino making a kick, um, a deuce, that is, to get the Jack, uh, get the Sharks the win to 2-1 and one in the season and then coming home 
next weekend, April 30th, against the Orlando Predators. Uh, so, yes, I think Jacksonville goes up there with a the fan contingent that we do know is coming from Jacksonville. And, mm -hmm. again, a little to my veins, I'm picking the uh, Jacksonville Sharks and a close one here. I do think this game does touch the high 50s like we did see in San Antonio, uh, between San Antonio and Jacksonville. Oh, I got this one going 50-plus on both sides. I think mm -hmm. with the with the Nets, I think you're going to see 50-plus for at least 50 minimum a team wins now. Like, the scoring's gone up average-wise so far this year, mm -hmm. and I think it stays going up and up. But this is another game that'll do it uh, moving forward. Speaking of games that should be high-scoring, I would think San Antonio visiting MVP Arena. The Empire hosting their second straight home game, coming off a... I don't even know what to call it. Just, just utter sheer beatdown and complete annihilation of the Orlando Predators. I'm sorry, that's what it was last week. Uh, they get to face an opponent that I don't think you're going to see the same thing happening in terms of that type of performance. But do they win again? Do they go two and zero on the do season? Do they? Do they? Do we I have to? Do we have to think, check the script? Mm, yeah, I think we got to check the script on this one. Let's see. Okay. I lost. Wait a minute, I'm not supposed to lose. Let me see the script. I'm going with the script, actually, and I'm going to take Albany. The script says that the Empire will walk away with the win, at least my script. Uh, reason being, look, I, I maybe this is a challenge to Arvell Nelson. I think that the Gunslingers are more likely to slip up in the turnover battle is my problem. And and I could be wrong. You know, that I could be dead wrong. But I got the Empire. I think that they'll play a bit cleaner of a game. It's going to come down to the wire. The Gunslingers are not going to be out of it whatsoever. I guarantee it. But I think the Empire just play a slightly cleaner game, and they get a second victory uh, in a row at the MVP arena. Uh, like my previous one, um, make a short sweet. Come on, the King. Better not miss. Pretty much. Albany. Albany. <laughs> And I know I, I already I already am sensing we have very passionate gunslingers fans in our in our groups and in the, that follow this show. Mm -hmm. So I am I am all ready for this. And yeah. as Jim and I have said in the past, we gladly will eat crow for a wrong prediction. So yes. you know we are very much making our bed with this one in yeah. terms of double picks. Yeah, um, but again, San Antonio's played played with fire the last two weeks. Sometimes you play fire with fire, and sometimes you'll get burned by such fire. The mistakes that Carolina and the mistakes that Jacksonville did will not happen against San. Will not happen against Albany. Albany does not make those mistakes. The only way Albany will beat themselves is that if, if the only way Albany loses games is if they beat themselves. And how everything's going up there right now, the energy up there right now, I just don't see it in this game. I do think this is going to be a high scoring. Very entertaining game, and I'm, I'm I might have to say it. We might be seeing the preview of the championship game um, up up there in Albany uh, between these two teams. So, yes, San Antonio fans, um, Ralph and Phil. Uh, yes, we know uh, we picked against your teams, but I just did say we might be seeing you guys in this matchup at the end of the year. So, yeah, we'll eat crow, but we're both saying basically you're going to play in the championship game this year. Here so. we go. <laughs> first of of several games between these two trust me i mean we'll we'll it could change i mean i could you could see him split in the series i just arvell's just got to play clean that's my thing Absolutely. offensive line play obviously like you're talking the fronts fronts will be a key too but we'll see 
it's going to be a fun week. Two games, you know, again, we, we, it's not, we don't have the biggest league, but by God, we have some damn good football every week. I mean, that's, that's what you're guaranteed to have good football games competitive every week. I love the NAL for that. Um, and boy, this week's going to be no less the same or no lesser than that whatsoever. Um, should be fun. Well, it's two games on docket, two different days, Saturday and Sunday. Again, Saturday at 7 o'clock is San Antonio at Albany. And then Sunday at 3 o'clock it is the Jacksonville Sharks and the Fayetteville Mustangs to wrap up week three action. Remember, tune in next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for NAL Rebound. Uh, we'll be breaking down action. We'll have a special guest on that show to help us break down actions. You did see Manos. We might have another person on to break down the action. Might be a familiar face to the arena community who has history of breaking down action. But for that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you to Coach Ware. Thank you, Zach. Thank you to the fans who have downloaded the show and are very supportive of the show who have reached out to us, who have talked to us, who have commented to us. Thank you. Um, again, they love the highlights during the breakdown, so we'll be getting more of that on Tuesday's show. Two games, two actions. Remember to follow us on Walls Pod. Uh, we, I'll be live tweeting slash being associated. I'll be on Discord Air on our Discord channel. Links in our description. There you go. Uh, during the Albany game, so you'll hear my live reactions uh, watching the game uh, via. And join that Discord too. Look, we, we talk about the league even deeper than even on this show. We get folks from all over across the community. I mean, you know, if you want anything NAL and you want to dive even deeper in that, that discord server is fantastic. We got great folks that are involved with teams involved as diehard fans. You, you should join. If you're a diehard fan of your favorite team in the NAL, come and join in, have some fun with us. We're always talking at, talking and active every day on there. And it's always about NAL football. Sometimes so active where I look at my phone and have 35 missed notifications. That too. <laughs> that is very and true. I'll be like, what? Oh, it's my Discord. Wow. But yeah, go visit us, ladies and gentlemen. It's pretty fun. We have every, we have, each team has their own uh, channel so you can associate with fans or other fans around the league. Uh, it's a good community. And of course, seven o'clock on our Discord, I'll be on the NAL chat uh, room on the Discord. So come join. Talk about the game while we're watching the game. I can't air the game, but you can join us and enjoy listening, uh, to my opinion, as the game is being ha- uh, pro- uh, progressing. So I'm Jim Renier. That's Zach Kalman. We've been on for an hour and a half. Long show. Enjoy this weekend's games, folks. Uh, we'll see you Tuesday for NAL Rebound. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier.